So spectacular. Yes, I'm Alex, and the voice you just heard was is my co-host, Sonny. Yes. In this show, we take on Hollywood, don't we? Yes, we take on Hollywood by giving our take on Hollywood. A film a week. All film sorts. every week. Last week, we covered The Godfather. Or last episode. We don't know how we're releasing these yet. Yes, uh, we don't. Whenever we record them, I suppose. Which, uh, by the way, speaking of recording... Oh, yeah. This is like the this fifth is the- recording. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yes. Oh, it's uh, yeah. We thought we did good. We recorded a great episode. Hour, an hour of an episode, an hour and a half. The internet cut cut out, and we lost it. So we lost everything. Well, we got my half, but Alex's half didn't. It didn't make it. Didn't make it. It didn't make it. And I'm I'm sure no one out there wants to listen to me talk to myself for two hours. Enough rambling. Let's just get into this film. This Let's just movie. get into this movie. This film. The Godfather 2. It's like, considered one of the best films ever. It's a sequel to one another film that's also considered the best film ever. It's very strange, isn't it? Because it's... They're both just as good, and people don't seem to divide them. They just go... I think when people say The Godfather, they probably think they're probably thinking of both. Because no one ever says, "Oh, I love The Godfather Part 2. Yeah, it's like I mean, you, I think yeah, people always say I love The Godfather, and then if you ask them their favorite, they might say Part Two or Part One. But it's always it feels like a package deal. Yeah, like they're definitely one stands connected. alone. Yeah, but two is kind of like the full story. You get the bigger picture. You get the prequel and the sequel. Yeah together and they complement each other so well adds more depth yeah so let's get into it what do we start should we we're gonna go we're gonna go michael's story then Vito's story aren't we? yeah we'll focus on michael first because that's kind of the key it's the majority of the film so it's yeah based on the most the bit with the most focus because he's the protagonist he yeah he's and kind the, of the pre the pre oh sorry the prequel elements are basically to reinforce what's happening in yeah uh, the the main present day story it it's basically a contrast it's like this is what Vito was this is how he came to be we've seen how michael came to be in one mm. and we saw how vito runs his business especially at the start before vito got gunned down and then in this one we get to see how michael runs his business so it's almost a swap a reversed role kind of thing where it's First one, origin of Michael. Second one, origin of Vito. First one, Vito's business. Second one, Michael's business. So it's, it provides the kind of perfect, almost coherent, their two stories come together with this one. It all makes sense with this one. It's all you one get big to story. Make sense of it all. Yeah. And it's, a, it's, it's about how a man built a family on crime and then it was eventually destroyed by crime. Yeah. Well, we don't actually know the full ending because we haven't seen 
part three, That's yeah, which true. is next part episode. three. I feel like was just kind of yeah. Apparently, to me, it looks tagged on, but we'll right. cover that next time. We'll have to wait and see. We will. So, do we want to start with the opening sequence, which is isn't Michael's story, but I think it's it's just the opening sequence I'm, of the film. Yeah, the first you get the kind of the logo and someone kissing Michael's hand, and he says. Don Corleone or whatever he says, and then and then it goes to Vito, little kid Vito, little kid Vito is like, dad's funeral, like ten or something, something like that. And this poor boy is his whole he's world is like dad. destroyed in like yeah two in minutes. Space is like yeah, <laughs> I mean his dad dies at the funeral. Like the next week, his last two living relatives are gunned down. Yeah, um, by Don Chicho. John Chicho. And I was right about that shot last week, which surprised me about the the one where it's like a mirror. Duplicate. A mirror. Yeah, it's they mirrored it. It's great. Cool. I remembered it better than I thought. I was really <laughs> surprised by. But um yeah. When that that's kind of I like the lighting there, I like the the the, the sound design made it feel very real. Yeah, and that's but all. When you to get to New York, yeah, that's when it gets impressive to me yeah when it's got, uh, when it's like 1910 or 17 yeah. or whatever new york that's when like that's really impressive the stuff i mean really there. all of those sequences are impressive because you've got hundreds of extras in a lot of them especially on ellis island oh yeah you've got that like you know all this direction all these costumes everything is so there's, well a do- there's a dolly so shot where it just goes through and everyone's like choreographed to do stuff and it just looks so natural. And you just see yeah. little Vito and he's like so insignificant in this in this whole um, scene. And yeah. I think that's bookended when he looks out from his window and it's reflecting the Statue of Liberty. Like this, this little kid is going to be the, the king of America essentially because he becomes yeah. Don Corleone. And it's like it perfectly sets up his underdog. You know, his underdog. It is. It's story. kind of like the Statue of Liberty is challenging him in a way. It's like, look at me. I'm up here. I'm. This is America, and he's looking up to it. And he's like, you know, almost like this will be mine one day. Yeah, the American dream was his. And that, okay. I have a fact about that shot. It was yes. done using rear projection to get the perfect. Um. Huh. So there's like a screen playing um, archive footage of the Statue of Liberty or whatever. And then they, yeah. they protect that and they got the perfect reflection off the window. Wow. Because if they actually, because <laughs> I don't know. But that's just the level of detail. Like Ford Coppola knows what to do to make a perfect image. I think he does. There's this, yeah, more, more so in than any other movie. I can remember shots from these Two mm. films, yeah, they're ingrained in your memory. Ironically, both involving the Statue of Liberty. Those two, my favorite shot of the two is in the wheat fields, where Clemenza. Uh, oh yeah, that takes that the cannoli. That's great. I think mono. Spoilers for the film, by the way, everyone. Um, I think my favorite might be either the last shot of two when you see Michael standing out uh, looking through that big glass window over the lake mm. and then the yeah. one that precedes that where it's fredo on the boat it's just yeah. so like you can just tell the look it's that, so cold yeah 
that definitely cold yeah there's nothing happy about it it's grim all that first shot of it's, don Corleone in the first film. which one's that oh when, yeah when it when yeah, emerges from the shadows yeah speaking of the first shot in this one they had text over the screen it, it didn't feel out of place but it was just interesting it's like oh okay fair enough well, yeah. I don't know. I don't really have get, an opinion you got to get, get exposition out somehow, haven't you, so? Yeah. I, I must say I do prefer it when films actually, you know, take the time to, or they try and make you understand the story as you go so you can unfold it yourself, but I guess they thought it was necessary. Well, you just got to say, like, this is, you know, Town of Corleone. Vito's, yeah, his story is definitely a lot more straightforward. <laughs> than, <laughs> I mean, the, than the Michael oh, and God. You've got Frank running about pretending to be Clemenza. You can- <laughs> yeah, we got, got new, new Clemenza who just sort of yeah. shows up, and then like it's he shows it's- up, does stuff, then gets he gets like then tries, kills himself. He nearly tries to kill. He nearly gets killed by someone. I'm not entirely sure who. It's a uh, I forget the name, but there's some gang in New York that's affiliated with um Hyman Roth. Yeah, Roth. But then they say it's Michael Corleone, so they're getting him to. Are they getting him to betray Michael? But then he does betray Michael, but then he doesn't, and then he kills himself. I, I, it's weird. If you uh, have a better understanding I, of the story I, than I, us, yeah, please I leave. I'll kind of try in. and explain it as I go how I understand it. But and I did have to read a few after I first watched this movie a few years ago. I had to reread a few. I had to read a few. Um, pieces online no, to, to be like, yeah. okay. And now watching it a second time and knowing what happens, you can then pick up better. People, the people should know it. we're not that smart. We're not that smart. We're, we're big dum-dums. We're just yeah. two small town idiots. Young whippersnappers. <laughs> That's what we should call the, we should call the podcast two small town idiots. Well, we've already got a name. Two small town idiots take on, some smart people. People with so, a lot more talent than us. Yes. So. Like Francis Ford Coppola, who I think, great segue, really did well with this movie, especially considering some of the kind of the biggest points of the movie were improvised. Yeah. Two of the biggest points. One was the guy who played Clemenza. He oh, just yeah. didn't like turn up basically on the day kind of well up to the deadline they were negotiating with him and then he basically said if you don't let my girlfriend write all of my lines i'm not doing it and they were willing to give him like money anything and he was like nope I, I letting your girlfriend me. write your lines should be what i don't think that should ever happen unless she's a writer obviously exactly but- unless she's the creator of that show or or is the writer of that movie like yeah but and even if she was a writer like she's not the writer of the film so exactly it's not her project that's it bothers me that that's what stood between us having clemenza back and then some guy again vanity. like copla said or whatever yeah he said sadly i just had to write him out and say he had a heart attack he said i never wanted to do that but that means we got frank and frank's a pretty cool character i mean he's interesting he's interesting because he's He's like they're all like pure blood Italians who are like family, yeah. who are families are all immigrants and all that. But he's like the most American of the characters, mm. I think. Like he's very Even larger he's than from life. Sicily, 
yeah, he's from Sicily, but he's got that Fredo kind of incompetence about him. He's drunk. He's he's a bit more kind of I don't know. He's just he's a bit more street level. Does what he than, wants than the rest yeah, of the. He does what he people. wants. Yeah, you can tell he's there because of like not necessarily because of how good he is, but just who he knows or where he's from. He's not particularly competent. He, I feel like he has the ability to be competent, but he's just a bit... Yeah, because in certain scenes, he does know what he's talking about. Like, I think yeah. when he talks to Michael at, at some point, he's like, he does give him like a, a lesson. He goes, he gives him a rundown. And when, when he's talking with Tom uh, towards the end of the film, he basically he does make a good, some good points, you know? Yeah. And that, that scene where he talks to Tom at the end is sinister. Yeah. Where they're talking about the Romans slitting their wrists in a warm bath. And I was like, oh, God. Ooh. And you know what's coming, and you're like, ooh. By the way, that reminds me, on my box set, yeah, <laughs> the rating for the UK is 15. And I'm like, okay, I can see that. What, for two? Yeah, which I was kind of surprised by. I was like, okay, I guess it's a 15. The rest were like 18 or whatever for the other regions. There was one region where this movie was rated 12. In what universe is, is a movie in which like a man slits his wrist in a bath at twelve? <laughs> I don't get it. And like uh, a like a, a prostitute's horrifically murdered. Yeah. Like on my on the box that I have, there's um it's eighteen for one and two and then fifteen for three. So I But yours is the D V D, which is older. So I yeah. imagine as it's like with movies that used to be for adults kind of get cheesier and cheesier and then they're like oh kids these days exposed to more so we should anyway. probably we're, sort of, we're going a bit ahead aren't we should we go we, back we to are the, going a bit sporadic to the should we start should we start the opening the the opening scene where we're introduced back reintroduced to michael michael and this new senator character who he's doing business with and yeah. it's very similar to the this is the guy who's a kind of blackmail yeah it's very similar to the first film. The party's there. Michael's doing his deals. There's a flipping giant Coca-Cola cart in the bottom of the shot at one point. <laughs> it's like product placement. <laughs> wow. There's a cart with Coca-Cola in it. It's great. Wow. It's like, fair enough. It's America. You know what? Fair they enough. Yeah. Got a land of the... Land of the product placement. <laughs> land of the product placement. Don't sue us, America. Um. So yeah, we've got that opening party scene, but there's a different vibe to it. Yeah, it's a definitely a bit more like somber and dark because everyone everyone mm, seems to be in the, everyone's not really having a good time. Yeah, in the first one, you could tell they're all enjoying themselves. They have they're, they're genuinely having a good time, and it's a great introduction to these characters. And this one kind of acts as here's some new characters, the senator and Frank, and here's some here's the characters you know already and here's where they are today. Here's what's but the difference is with this one. Yeah. Here's, here's their point. And it's great at establishing that. Cause again, it's a family gathering. So they're becoming familiar with one another after not seeing each other for a while. Um, but you could tell they're all trying to look like they enjoy themselves. And you can they're tell Michael's like, okay, everybody smile and wave. Oh, keeping up appearances. That's what they're doing. Yeah. But it's not genuine. Whereas the first one was genuine and it shows under veto this family was whole. It was, it was happy. It was complete. Yeah. And under Michael, he put his head before his heart. He destroyed his family for his business and he's still trying to keep that facade alive. Yeah. And it's just not working. 
it's falling apart at the seams and he's trying to hold everything together and after he's already like running into the ground basically yeah and that for this scene you can like the first in the first film the wedding scene introduces all the characters it like basically gives you what who they are what they are and then this one reintroduces them saying and it shows clearly how they change like the sister michael's sister whose wedding is the opening to the first one she's all happy and everything for the first one and then in this one she's like you know horribly depressed because her husband got murdered at the end of the the last film and yeah and and now she's like She's basically become like a trophy wife for like a bunch of other people, apparently. Fredo's got a trophy wife and he's miserable because he can't control her. Even Michael's miserable, though. I mean, he's screaming at his siblings like, you're getting remarried before the ink's even dried on your last divorce papers. Yeah. And it's like, but Michael's still miserable. Like, I don't we think he, saw that tension. I think he still loves his children, but you can tell yeah. him and Kay you can tell, was yeah. like doomed from the start. I mean, and they both do horrible things in this movie to each other. Yeah, just to like, like they're just clearly not going to work. Michael, she comes back in the third one, which is weird. Michael, to be fair, um, he does. I think he does care for her because he keeps her safe when there's an assassination attempt. But and then, and I think because of his selfish personality, he. he very much like believes he's caring for his wife, but I mean, when you see Case yeah. Case side, if you think about it, because they don't show it particularly well in the film, like they just sort of, just sort of like goes, "I hate you." Yeah, again, they point. they sideline anyone who's not a criminal or a mafia, anyone member. who's not like, a Corleone, yeah, basically, yeah. Basically. And even then, they sideline poor Tom, who was like, "Oh, he's like the only one." I mean, left. at least we got to see we got to see Dom Hagen, which was great. Yeah, <laughs> for like. Or did I say Don, 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 Don Tom, basically. Don Tom. That was nice. But he's kind of swept under the rug. Yeah. And, and you lose respect a, for him. It's a shame because Robert Duvall, who plays him, is fantastic. Yeah. If we do Apocalypse Now, he is brilliant in that film. Anyway, back on track. So these, yeah, you see this family. And again, it's, it is sad because we get, we get to see where Fredo's at and he's pretty miserable and it's I mean, just miserable he's more fredo just kind of there he's more fredo than yeah ever now at this point yeah <laughs> yeah like oh, he's got like the, he's got the tacky suit on the pencil mustache and he's like oh, hey mikey Jesus. i've got some new guys to come in there talk to you you know what i'm saying hey, yeah 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 he goes full yeah he goes full gangster like and you're like oh cheesy vegas god love you fredo if you know how it, the film ends, oh my god, it's sad. But anyway, um, so we've got the the party scene, the meeting scene's good between the senator because it backs up what what Michael said in the first film, where it's kind of like these people. Michael is putting on this two sided face like his father did in the original. Yeah. You've got the party going on. He's like, "Hey, everybody, I'm great. I'm a great guy." And then meanwhile, he's arranging to have two men beaten up in a back alley. Like it's the same with Michael. They, they show the Senator and him, they're getting along. He's paying, the Senator's paying for like his son's college or something, something yep. like that. 
we don't we're not Any Italian. To not we're know not, his name. We're not Italian descent, yeah. so we don't know um, all the ins <laughs> and outs. And we're not Catholic, which is a big thing. We're not, and we're not into politics. So this is sort of like weird ground for us. Then. It is, but I think it's like a gesture. It's like a gesture, a respectful gesture. But he he pretends to like Italian Americans. He's like, oh, but he also pretends not to know Michael. He distances himself. He's like the Corleone. And he's clearly very like in with this family in a way, I think. Yeah. He's he's in dodgy dealings with them, but he hates them because he's like a racist. He hates Italians or whatever. And he calls them all sorts of horrible names. He like talks about how his he always says, you know, my people, your people, when Michael's part of America as much as him. Yeah. And ironically Michael, Michael's a, if a anything, soldier, the senators so. well yeah the senator's worse than Michael because he's destroying this country by collaborating with people like Michael. Yeah. And we actually see him do a full 360 on his opinion during the court trials, which I thought was funny. Like after they blackmail him, <laughs> oh, which makes yeah. Vito look tame, by the way, the way they blackmail this. So they blackmail this senator. guy by, so he's with a, a prostitute. And yeah. I think, do, do, doesn't Michael send Tom, Tom and uh, like some, you know, fixers or whatever. And they like horribly yeah. mutilate this girl, and he wakes up and he's like, and this guy's breaking down in this like really, it's really like claustrophobic. The shot you almost feel like it's bad really for the guy, room. even though he's a horrible man. Yeah, yeah. He, it makes Vito look tame because Vito was chop the guy's horse head off and put it, in his or bed. just put a gun like, to someone's know, head and go. Yeah, just threaten them. Whereas Michael's like murder an innocent woman. And make him think that he did it. That sets the precedent straight away. The party again, and their kind of their their methods are shown. And in the same way, it's like poetry. In the same way that they did it in The Godfather. In the same way they did it in this movie. It's the, it's identical. They the party, the betra- they have a betrayal. They have blackmailing. You get to see how they do business. So. Again, yeah, it's very poetic of his father's story, but there are key stages where he does things fundamentally differently. Yeah, he's definitely the opposed. cause. He's yeah. definitely opposite. That I think it's two sides of the same coin. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There are things that they share, but there's I'd argue there's more that they don't. And I feel like he was. It's almost like Michael was thrown into this. His father died so soon; he didn't have anyone to guide him apart from Tom. Who he sort of pushed away because yeah, he it, surrounded himself with all these no name like capos and bodyguards that you never get to know the name of. Not like in the first film, yeah, yeah. They were a family. They were both a, a family by blood, and they were family through Clemenza and Tessio. Yeah, because you see in all the, in the the uh, the flashback sequences with uh, Vito, like he met yeah. these people. He's known them for decades. Well, yeah, they're they're the people who kind of got him into this life in a way. Yeah. Ironically, he ended up by being in charge of them, but he wouldn't see it that way. But I think that's just because that's the type of person Vito is. He's, yeah, he's we the, get to see that. He's actually. the born leader. Yeah, in Vito's section, we get to see him. He's the one who actually will go. Well, why do we have to? Why don't we stand up? Why don't we do our bit anyway? That'll be in that part. But yes, the key. Yeah, we get to see the between Michael and the senator. We get to see the dirty politician and, and the criminal. And they're not. They're not too like people think they're yeah, like. It. They're different worlds, but they're quite. They're always. Yeah, it, it speaks to that time because 
around yeah. that time in the 60s there was always i mean there's always been rumors but it was the height of the mafia's power it was the height of them yeah and there was rumors about kennedy and the mafia and all sorts and so yeah. it, i think it's a commentary on that in a way in hindsight well, I, I didn't get to mention 70s. this last episode but um like the mafia were like keeping tabs on the godfather yeah um like during production and i i, I assume that they, they did it for this one as well but they kept tabs on them and they, that's why so if you compare like the godfather to goodfellas like yeah. a film like goodfellas one's a lot more accurate than the other because the godfather's like it's fantastical um yeah it's like it's like telling a medieval historical drama as yeah, lord of the rings <laughs> it's an it's an idolized version of yeah what the mafia life is like but then when you look at goodfellas which is that's definitely well it's based on a real story it's based on true events and that's definitely more like this is what the mafia what actually is like yeah and they were able to do that because that was made in what 1990 and i think so it was the early 90s at least yeah and that was when the mafia was basically gone so in the traditional well, not sense. gone in the well, not well they're not there's it like kind of turned into more yeah it turned into more just petty criminals or yeah it was yeah. less of an organization it was less intelligent I think more more the sopranos than yeah you know don Corleone. yeah it was kind of a more anyway. civilized crime syndicate age if there ever could be it, it yeah. felt like that there was more honor to crime in that era well I mean, if you read about what Al Capone did, not really. Well, oh, yeah, well, but I mean, in like the sense of The Godfather, it's portrayed as this honorable kind of ideological time, it's, whereas it's things the like people, Goodfellas, again, are real. They're real in there. So in The Godfather, it's portrayed as like these immigrants, like these Italian-Americans don't have a choice. Like this is their way of life in America. Yeah. I mean, Michael's forced into it. We see it through yeah. him, and we see it through Vito. It's kind of like he's he's it's still, sort of like, like he's poor. It's like it's the only way they can make a name for themselves is by going into crime. If they're a Italian, yeah, because there's prejudice. There's, into, yeah, yeah. There are people with honest businesses, but it's hard, and they're not respected. So therefore, they, you know, if I was, I mean, you saw the way the senator talks to Michael. It's like you you don't want to be part of that system. You don't want to be subservient to them. I wouldn't. Like, <laughs> I definitely wouldn't. If society kicks you down like that, you probably just give it this promised land and it's go an time. Opportunity. If anyone's, yeah. And for anyone's like, I don't think anyone should ever like just because someone's you know different. Don't. I mean, this goes without saying, doesn't it? Don't. Yeah. Like pe- hire people or you know respect people on merit, not because they're uh, you know an immigrant or their dad's an immigrant. Exactly, or and we see Vito like stupid. I don't know what what's his job before he's in the mafia. Is he like a fruit vendor well, or something? So he works Work. at like a, a deli or a delicatessen, like a deli, like an Italian. Like so, it, the sad thing then, is, we know he's better than that. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. He he deserves better, and he's not given that opportunity. But you, get, you get what you're given, don't you? Yeah, it's this supposed land of opportunity, and he's... Anyway. More so Michael, Michael is... Yeah. <laughs> Michael is... Um, so, there's an assassination attempt, which is a great scene, when he, like, he goes, why are the drapes open? And then you just see, like, a close-up, <laughs> and it, a close-up of his eyes, and they widen for, like, a split second, and then... And I was like, 
that it made me like made my heart start going and i was like oh this is just Gets it's you a great direct, it's a really good directed it's so well loud. directed scene yeah it's so loud it works well it makes you tense you're like oh my god all the sound in this film is perfect and that's because walter merch who i mentioned last yeah. episode he is he is like he's the reason like the godfather sounds amazing mm. you know just shout out to him if you're a fan of filmmaking you gotta look up this guy because i mean it's just great he wrote he literally wrote the book on editing a film so wow i think yeah that that scene is so powerful because you, you dal pacino's performance is great there he's like he's, he looks genuinely worried about his wife like oh my god are you ready yeah it's well i think he yeah. is and to i like the, the, the drawing that his son left in it shows that distance because instead of his son drawing a picture and being able to hand it to him and be like do you like it he has to put like a little tick leave box it, and it's it. kind of sad because uh, he's like do you like it yes no so it, i like that little hint so fredo the big the big crux of this film fredo isn't it really yeah that's like, the that's the the i am your father moment that's the moment that everyone remembers yeah, so it's and it shows that Michael is just completely dehumanized because yeah. he's going to kill his own brother. This, this is, is like, his lowest point. Like that's that's a big thing in Italian like culture. Yeah, like, and, family is everything, and in his family, just anyway, like there's a yeah. massive emphasis on family because as we see in Vito's flashback, it means so much to him. I mean, he lost mm. everyone. He lost Vito. Lost his brother. And he'd probably do I mean, anything to get him back. And then here's Michael just offing his own brother because he's a minor inconvenience. Because he made a mistake. And even says that in the flashback, he's talking to baby Michael and he goes, family is everything. Exactly. And we see Michael lost his son in this movie. His wife, you know. He lost a son, not. Well, yeah, he lost his, his wife had an abortion. She was like, basically like, ah, she got real mad at him. And that was not yeah. a nice thing to do, but at the same time, he flipping slaps her across the face as well. It's like, which is it's an extremely, nice yeah, it's an extremely unhealthy relationship. But yeah, th- he's a very selfish man because that's the last straw for him. But to him, murdering his own brother because it's okay with him. He didn't check with the rest of his family. He waited till his mother passed away, well, and then be, he was like, to Bang. be fair to him, all of them are dead. So, well, yeah, I mean, it's him and his but sister. Him and- yeah, but also his son. Like his son, clearly by the end of the movie, once Fredo's clear of this life of crime, he's kind of he becomes the uncle, and I think he suits that role. He was never made out for this life of crime. He was never made out to be a don. He has a little freak out about it, and it's kind of sad to watch. But which is a brilliantly framed scene, yeah, with him in like the low chair where he's basically like almost lying down. He's kind of given Michael's. Up. Yeah, well. could, he's, he's like yeah. he's like deflated, like he's a had enough. Yeah, he looks literally like someone's just taken everything from yeah. him and he's just yeah and michael stood over him confidently yeah well the if we're going to talk about framing the scene where he michael finds out that fredo betrayed him when he slips up and like mentions he knew some guy when oh yeah he Ola didn't or something him. yeah johnny yeah. ola or something like that and fredo's like got his arms around some people and he's like having a laugh and then that's like in the foreground and then in the background you can just see michael like basically screaming into his hands yeah and it's and i was just like it really stood out to me that's 
another another shot we were talking earlier. Yeah, I love when he that's goes another over. shot that's burned in your mind. And then well, yeah, the what's following scene, in my mind is when he grabs him and like kisses him on the face violently. He's like, "You broke my heart, Fredo." I knew it was you. I knew it was you. That I, was no. I know. I know it was you. Or something like that. Yeah, that's another like burned into your mind. And Coppola is very good at that. He he said he made an influence and took inspiration from Kurosawa. He said he didn't like violence in his films. He didn't like standard violence. Yeah, he wanted every death to be memorable. Kurosawa wasn't a big fan of like over the top violence. Like yeah, he you would have someone you know being slashed with a sword but he wouldn't like have blood going everywhere he would only use blood if it was absolutely necessary if we talk about one of his films i've got a lot to say <laughs> copeless seemed to kind of he didn't he, he put emphasis on every death that was in the film he said the when Vito shoots don chicho in this film no, when he stabs it. Uh, no, that was a. Uh, oh yeah, I meant um, flipping. There's so many Dons. Don Finucci. Finucci, like that was the one. Yeah, he said he made a point of having him adjust the light bulb and have it flicker on De Niro's face, and then having the towel set on fire. Like, yeah, he said those visuals are ingrained in your memory. Those details make it more memorable because, like, exactly. it's an unusual. It's not an unusual thing to do, but it's like it's different. Like it's, normally, yeah, it's not just him going up to him and shooting him. There's a build-up. There's tension. He he uses this weird towel technique to silence the gun, and it works. And he and he and he waits till the fireworks start going off for the festival outside, which is similar to the cafe scene in the first one. Because Michael, that he waits for the train to kind of get louder and louder. I guess for the same reason and, to kind of cover it up a bit. Or it's similar to uh, it's it. I was getting some very uh, you know the last scene, the montage at the end of the first film when all the heads of the five families. Oh are yeah, yeah. It's very similar to that, cutting back to back and forth to a happy moment to a very violent moment. Mm. So it cuts from the in the first film, it cuts from the christening to the killings, and then cuts from the like the festival to the the killing again in the second one. I'd say that there's yeah, every, almost every death as well again has that memorable nature. Yeah, the the bullet in the eye from the first one is or, one that stands out to me, and the orange in Luca, the mouth. Luke Brazzi being his yeah. eyes bulging out that guy's face is and the like, fish oh. in the armor that they send afterwards like it makes you remember oh, yeah. these things really? it's not just hey that guy died off screen even with Clemenza which, when they which had does to happen well, yeah but even with that they were like they made everything they were like he died of a heart attack that was the heart attack I've got the black bands like they they draw attention to things to keep you informed in a way to make sure you remember these things it's very natural yeah, but, yeah again, it's, it's, very, it's, it's very, natural ex- yeah it's natural story yeah, time. Exactly. It's that's a very hard thing to do to tell a story, keep everyone on the same page, and make those kind of those points. Not just saying that things happened or saying rem- now remember this. It's it's a clever, creative way of making sure people remember things, which uh, some films do. Not naming any names. <laughs> not naming any names, but uh, we'll get into it in a future episode. Yeah. So, I think we've said all we want to say about Michael. Yeah, Michael's story is, if I had to sum it up, I'd say it's more psychological than Vito's story, both in one and two. It plays with your mind. Yeah. It makes you ask questions about morality and family and what, how far do you take things? How far can you go before you sit down and actually say to yourself, what am I doing? Well, Vito's story, I think the whole point of it, like I think it's a great story, but it's it's not 
it's only there to uh, Inform. compare to. Yeah, com- it's only there to compare to Michael. So it's like, yeah. So v- like Vito does something, and then you we go back to Michael and we see what he's doing. It's like, well, obviously one's doing it better than the other. It's kind of like, yeah, so. it's a comparison point. It's mm. that's its purpose. It's and also it's a nice story. You get people want to see where this guy came from and how he came to be this yeah. kind of unique it's, individual. It's deserved. It's not just like, and now we're going to explain the origin of the cannoli from the first film. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's like. Speaking of the cannoli, Clemenza, I loved his, every single casting of the young people, they both looked like the original actors and they were perfectly performed. There's there's a weird bit, but like Clemenza, when he first introduced, he's quite lean and thin, and then like oh yeah, they kind of there's like him up. there's like a it's like a jump a jump, and then like you don't see him for a few scenes, and then he comes back, and it's like a side on profile shot where you can see his belly. He, they like show it outside there. the um, olive oil shop. He kind of jumps in the air yeah. a bit and gets angry at the at a car. A car. And yeah. <laughs> you can tell he just yeah. stuffed his shirt with like pillows or something. Yeah. <laughs> But I noticed it, so that worked. But it was it was funny. But yeah, Vito. His First story. of all, Robert De Niro was great in this role. Fantastic. And he looks like Brando's godfather. He doesn't look like Brando, but Brando's godfather had that kind of jowly look. I think um, he doesn't look like Marlon Brando, but he... But you can he see how he to. got there. In a way. He just has to do the mannerisms. Yeah. Like, he, can st- he, can, he can replicate the mannerisms of that performance and then like and you can sort of see it's like how um in solo mm. that's yeah obviously obviously yeah, he doesn't look similar. like harrison ford but but you but can he believe does, he it. does the man yeah you can believe it like you can believe that that person turned into them before digital de-aging and all that that's used in like you know the marvel films and yeah. the star wars film and all the, the loads of stuff I mean, the they could have used it well. they could have used it in solo but I don't think they need to. <laughs> it would have been. It wouldn't have been digital de-aging. It would have been like reconstruction well, yeah, of Alden Ehrenreich's face because they can't get yeah. Harrison Ford to play a young version of himself because it would have been the Irishman problem, wouldn't it? Anyway, so yeah, but Ma- not Marlon Brando. Robert De Niro is just fantastic in this film, and he was originally supposed to play Sonny. That's how Coppola thought of him because he auditioned I'd, for Sonny. I don't think he would have been a good Sonny. He's very I think yeah. That's uh, what. Who uh, plays Sonny? Is it? I forget um, his name. James. J- James, James something. He was in Elf. James. <laughs> that's the other thing oh, James, I know him from. <laughs> James Khan. That's his name. Yeah. Khan or Khan. He's. He's. He gives a. I think he's the guy I see as Sonny. That's because he. Yeah. Is, so exactly, but he's so hot-headed. And he's. That's what Coppola said. He said, even though I loved everyone's performance, he said there was nothing De Niro could do because he said I just knew Sonny when I saw him. Like there were certain things you couldn't do. There was just a mannerism that the actor had to have, and he said that guy yeah. had it. And I think he's definitely more suited to do this. Um, yeah, because he's v- Vito's a quiet, collected kind of. He's not a hot-headed. He's he thinks about everything, and De Niro has that kind of a face. He doesn't look he's like the kind of guy who'd get mad. He never gets super angry in his movies. He never. No, he doesn't. I freaks out. I mean, someone's definitely going to write it and go. Actually, actually, in, in one so movie. and so. But on the whole, he's he's a he plays the more calm, considered characters. And I didn't know he could speak Italian. 
until I, I saw I, this. I don't know if he did or if he just learnt it for the role, like the lines, but he was very yeah. convincing. Everyone was. Yeah. And it's it's strange, isn't it? It's like a it was a mainstream release, but large chunks of it are in a different language. Yeah, that's authenticity. That's, I I kind of liked it when the subtitles were up though, because sometimes they mumble or oh yeah. So I was like, at uh, least I know what they're saying, because <laughs> there's so much exposition in the Michael parts, the bits where you can actually read the subtitles and kind of mull over it. I appreciate it in a way. It's like a. It's almost like a foreign. Well, it is. It's basically a foreign film. Yeah. And bringing that to a mainstream audience because this film won Best Picture, so it's actually kind of a good point. How it's almost like a big American blockbuster gangster film is mixed in with this kind of small town foreign film esque story, yeah. and it works. It shows that it humble beginning work. to the big to Vegas I from the, like the New York production and design. Yeah, yeah, definitely. the production design like is so detailed there's so much stuff and it's like it almost feels like just, they had two different sets of crews for each story yeah maybe well we'll have to i don't i don't think they'd have two sets of crews but they definitely had they definitely the if it was the same production designer they would definitely go well we have to distinguish these two eras of time which they do like there's a lot more like red brick i noticed in um yeah the veto sections and the way they're lit is orange mm. like the old fluorescent bulbs and candles it's yeah. all lit like that whereas in the modern day everything's a lot brighter it's that it's 50s it's, it's bright colorful everything's got more it's more vibrant more white harsh light is used and i think because that's uh the modern day stuff's not set in new york it's saying uh nevada las vegas and new york and they're very they're like polar opposite american cities aren't yeah. they so it's great to make that distinction. Like, I think these two films, The Godfather and Part Two, that the first, some of the first films that used um, like a color to sort of create yeah. a look. Like, well, they do it in Sicily as well. Sicily's very yellow yeah. and kind of yeah. the sun's the primary source of light. And you feel that, you feel that warmth. Then you go to New York and everything's a bit dark and brown and muddy. Because, and- like, Everything is like artificial light. It's artificial. America. Yeah, it's it's got that orange fluorescent bulb look. Everything is grey and yeah. it's all depressing. It's not got as much culture or kind of tradition as, as Italy. You get the impression. It's just a yeah. slum at this point. It doesn't have that history necessarily, then especially not the neighbourhood he's in, because it's just dictated by this horrible man who goes around. Don Fanucci, glad he died. I'm glad he died. I guess speaking of Don Fanucci, we could talk a little bit about him and what he plays, kind of what his role is for Vito. Well, he's a plot device, isn't he? Like Exactly. He's like Roth, Hyman Roth. He's exactly like Roth. We didn't mention Hyman Roth at in all. the Michael section. Cause, Cause um, it, yeah. I mean, come on, he's just, he's just there to make a point, isn't he? Like, yeah. And I like the the point he served because he even served a point to increase our liking of Vito because, like you said, Vito worked with him. Vito was his f- friend in a way. I think, but he said Vito um, never trusted him, and that shows how Frank smart says he was. that. Yeah, yeah. But Michael, I think, trusts him at the start of the film, and then when he obviously when he gets killed, when he has yeah, he learns a he valuable stops. lesson. Yeah, because he's like, oh no, this man's insane. And when we first meet Roth, the one thing I'll say about it is the guy who played him was very good. He actually trained 
help train he's Pacino a, yeah. and Brando, but very well. He's very well acted. I'm just saying he's not. Yeah, exactly. He's not As a very a, memorable character. Yeah, he. But he's very deceptive. Yeah, because he, he's like a frail old man, but he's very um. Yeah, and he's like, oh, that's horrible. Oh, all this gun violence is terrible. And then meanwhile, he's like, okay, kill this guy. <laughs> but anyway, have this guy have a machine gun. Yeah, blast through every his every. Yeah, every. Bit I want to turn his, his windows, windows to sand. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. But him and Fenucci, yeah, they both are both very much plot devices. But Fenucci's like. He's so weird. It's like he's, he he's so weirdly character. It's like he's from a different film. It's almost. like he's from a different planet. <laughs> yeah, he's, he like, is. he's like this, he's like this walking stereotype. You know, like in films when like an alien wears like a rubber suit that's a human, and they act weird, and they just try to blend in. They're like trying to blend in. That's what Fenucci feels like to me, at least. Yeah, he he. he you always like a, hear about his guards and how great and rich and powerful he is, but you never see them. He walks around. No one, no, no one's there protecting him. I guess it speaks to his, to Vito's kind of, he, the two dons that he was familiar with in his, when he was growing up, becoming part of a criminal empire. The first one was yeah. cruel, and in the end, that came back to bite him. He created, yeah, and the first one, and the and Finucci's just like greedy and yeah, selfish and. And he like, thinks that everyone loves him. He's delusional. He walks around like, you know, I don't need protection from people. I'm they the love savior me. of these, of this neighborhood. Like this yeah. is my neighborhood. He, he thinks he's like a this god. Is my kingdom. And yeah. And he's not necessarily as cruel as the first one, but he lets no, his guard down. So we, we so Vito learns, don't be cruel. Don't build your business on fear. Build it on favors. Build it on relationships. Build it on people and family. Tr- build on people you can trust, not people who fear you or people who. I don't think it's know. people you can trust because I don't think Vito trusts anyone. Really, well, that's true. But apart, apart from his fact, but I think it's people you can rely on. Yeah, like well, yeah, like you said about Roth, he relied yeah. on him, but he didn't trust him. I think should we just skip to the uh, the bit where he kills Don Chicho, and then we can wrap it up. It's I like this. It's pure vengeance and even though it's so brutal the guy deserved it <laughs> and it's it's so like i got from for me at least i got a sense that like was it really worth it like because like mm. don chicho is like he's not even sitting up straight he's like got his eyes closed he can't he can barely speak he can barely hear see he's like a yeah. husk of a man and the only reason Vito kills him is just because settle a vendetta. But that's what it that's what it always was for me with Vito in a way. He the same as Michael in a way in this first film. Michael has deals with the business at the end of the movie. And then he has that one personal vendetta against his brother in law. And for me, Vito is all about business, but this one was personal for him. Yeah, definitely. And he wasn't gonna let this old man die in his mansion. Happy to let him die 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 honorably on his own terms yeah he he, he was going to go up to him and slash him across the chest i love the way he like sticks knife and then drags it up and then just walks away it's so painful he does it slowly and it you can tell the knife slightly blunt because it kind of catches oh god yeah it's so brutal but it's you you understand his satisfaction because he finally gets like them this man murdered his brother his father his mother he drove him out of his home country 
Yeah. And he had to, but in a way you would sort of like, he can thank him because he made him the man he yeah. is now. I mean, the guy but, still deserved it, but yeah, I mean, obviously <laughs> get, get him out, get him out of here. Yeah. I'd say to sum up, oh wait, well, let's talk about the, uh, the final, final scene with the dinner. Oh yeah. That's yeah. That, that brings that, together. That, yeah. I feel like it puts a cap on Michael's story. Like this is, you know, this is bookended. This is Michael's story. I feel like it could have yeah. done a better job at, at putting an end to that era of Vito's life. Yeah, just because the train, is it a train? They're on yeah, the train. Yeah, they, they kind of go, of- you know, he gets his revenge. It's, it's almost, it's not petty, but it's not satisfying of an ending for me. It's almost like I, I can, I'm okay with it because, um, Vito's story is concluded in a, yeah. in a whole film, in the previous film. So you're like, well, I, I know what happens. So, but I know, I get what you mean. Like, it would have been nice if Brando had come back and we saw, and that their scene was like the, the joining point of the two. And again, this was no fault of Coppola because Brando was supposed to be in it um, because of legal things. It was literally the last minute they were like, yeah, okay, we've got to improvise it. something without Brando. So they made it a surprise birthday. And they said it actually kind of worked well. Um, the Godfather trilogy is like basically built on like last minute improvisation. Pe- people leaving, or because in the third one, the so Coppola's daughter was cast as like the main with the main person with no acting experience because um, the person who was going to do it had to be like, "Oh, I can't do it," and he was like, "Okay, cool. oh, okay," and that's it. It's a big complaint. I know that one of the most famous lines was improvised. Uh, The take the cannoli was just. Oh, yeah. That was because it was originally just leave the gun. So I like that. But the. The the dinner scene where. Yeah. It's a it's an it's an overview of the entire Michael's entire story. Yeah, it's like a nice little summary. It begins with all his family. Well, all his siblings, at least with um and then like and you see he's definitely different to the other ones and then everyone eventually leaves and it just lingers on michael sat there alone yeah just a minute it sort of brings it's like oh wow it's this man who's lost not only his real family but his criminal family he's lost his father he's lost his mother he's lost his brothers he's lost i mean his sisters kind of just become the shell of a woman Tom is he kind of just sidelined Tom and forgot about him and started to distrust him. His sister has uh, became like this sort of um, like subservient. Yeah, like she's just part of. She she became subservient to, now. Yeah, she was ever since her husband died. She she was just owned by men. She wasn't strong. Yeah. She was just like, I'm gonna get married three or four times then get divorced and then i'm gonna let my brother tell me what to do all the time so he's he's created almost like he's created these little pawns that he can have on his chessboard yeah they're not his family anymore it's not a game anymore he's turned it into something he's taken it too far in a way but it's, it's not his life anymore it is a game yeah he sacrificed his his life and his family for money and power, which is to, what to Vito, be in control. Yeah, that's what Vito never wanted. He never wanted to build his empire on fear. Family meant everything. Family came first. It wasn't necessarily how experienced you are. You know, Fredo was still part of the family under Vito. He just yeah. made sure that he was 
he had his place and he was respected because his father was like the one person who, who he, you could tell he wasn't happy with him, but he never said it. Like even his, even Fredo's mother said he, he was like, quote unquote, a gypsy left at the door or something like that. It's like, Oh God, it's poor but, man. And I his mean, father's the one person who actually respected him. Well, I mean, I think probably they saw like his, he's not, obviously he's not like the next in line to be. Yeah the don he's he's useful in his own way yeah and the don saw that and he respected him because he was his son yeah and that respect was lost with michael that everything his father built his empire on all the fundamentals everything his father had learned as a child going through all that what what his what allowed his father to become the most powerful man was was often through a kinder way of dealing with problems and yeah. Michael lost that spirit and he became misguided. And you see that at the end, he's just sat there looking over his lake, his kingdom. And then the very final shot is him, a close up of him, like just completely deadpan. Yeah. And then it just fades and just credits fades. Godfather part two. Yeah. And, and I, that's it. Yep. I mean, is there that- are a few flaws for me. Convoluted story. The story again, yeah, it's not the best, and and I think it that's is, the, it is a, a good story, but it's it you have to watch it like twice to get to get to really get what's going on. You you kind of get the gist yeah. of it the first time round. I think that's because that's just a a side effect of long films, like because because yeah. it, it's so it's a long film. It's like what nearly four, three and a half hours or something. I guess because it's a long film, it means it's going to have a complicated plot. If a film's an hour, it's not going to be that. If a film, yeah, if a film's ninety minutes, it's like you're basically like. I mean, it's like Star Wars or the Marvel movies. They make you think, but they're not like this guy's doing this, and then that's happening here, and blah blah blah. Whereas yeah. with these, it's like this guy's in with this guy, but this guy's going to betray this guy. It's like, oh, good god. Whereas Vito's story in this film was definitely a lot more. It was more grounded. It was more real. It was more kind of. Not blockbustery, but it was just a traditional story, and I didn't mind that. Yeah, definitely. It gave you times to have a break. And I feel like sometimes the edits between Michael and Vito were either left a bit too long or a bit too short. I would have liked more of Vito's, but then again, when I first watched the movie, I wanted more of Michael. So it's just really dependent on personal personal preferences, isn't it? Whatever you're more interested in on that viewing. So overall, we have little complaints about the film. Highly recommended if you, I mean, if you want to be, if you're a fan of, I mean, if you want to be a fan of cinema, get on these films immediately. Yes. yes. These two films will let you know at part three if you have to watch and it or not. I will say, I thought, I'm the kind of person who doesn't really like violent films. I don't like crime films. I find them depressing, but these are so detached unique especially the first one they're so yeah they're so unique and different and detached from reality in a way that it almost yeah. feels like an adventure but yeah. it has a good point the, the first one feels like a fun adventure okay the second one <laughs> is psychological not for, yeah but in the sense that you're in this fantasy world you're with the gangsters you know it's it's like kids play gangster movies it's like yeah like playing soldiers, it taps, it taps into that yeah it it taps into that it's you know star wars is in the end about people like dying but it's it's goofy and fun it's about family yeah it's a film about family it's part although it can be very dark the parts of it are light-hearted it's the second one where it really when the family falls apart and all that's left is this death and misery 
that's when it becomes heavy. But it's still like it's still worth watching, especially if that's not usually your kind of thing. And anyway, I think any adult like could yeah. watch. A f- this and if film. you've seen one but not two, then you sort of. I mean, I mean, fair enough. But you know, watch two, you'll love it. You'll love it. It's Even like poetry. More. Clear your whole day because it'll take that long to watch it. <laughs> Three and a half hours. This movie had an intermission. I was sort of glad I had a two disc thing. Like I was like oh, yeah. two hours. I was like sat back, relaxed. Then I had to go and do some stuff, and I had put in disc two, and I was like, nice. They should One reintroduce the intermission to movies because I, I I gave it a pause, and I got a snack, yeah. wrote some notes. Yeah, definitely because. It's it's a nice thing to have in a movie. Makes you feel you makes you feel not bad for taking a break and be like, okay. <laughs> anyway, now to move on to our now, next segment. Our next segment, which is, are we going to go with Calm Down Kubrick or Sunny's Soapbox? What what would it be? I think we should do mine first because mine's quick and fun and just nice. So this is my little talk about something I want to talk Calm about. Calm down, Kubrick. Calm down. I'm not ranting this week. <laughs> I'm not ranting this week. I just thought I'd do something nice. As we all know, there's a quarantine going on. We're all trapped oh, indoors. Oh, change your record. So oh, that's what I want to say to the coronavirus. Oh, I said the C word. I said the C word. We're going to get demonetized. Oh, wait, I've just said it. Oh, we said both so that we don't stand a chance. No, so I've, I've, compiled a li- I've compiled a little list of things you can watch during your quarantine. They're TV shows that I love. I might write some of these down. Probably seen a lot of them. You've probably seen a lot of them. I've got some quick stuff that you can get through, you know, probably in like a couple of weeks. I've got some long form stuff that just get on. Yep. So here we go. So first I want to start with Parks and Recreation. Yes. I'm going to do a controversial statement saying it's better than The Office and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which uh, they're both made by the same, they're all made by the same guys. I I would say I prefer Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but maybe that's just because I'm kind of attached to those characters because it's on at the moment. But yeah, it's definitely on. Parks and Recreation is like, I think it's the most it's the most consistent. Like the office drops off towards yeah, the end. Yeah. Brooklyn Nine Nine, I've noticed in the most recent seasons it's a bit like it's a bit too like wacky. Like, I, I think Brooklyn Nine Nine the for me, the latest seasons are better because they change the network. But before yeah. then it was starting to the cracks were showing. So I think it's I, just I, not, I like where it's going. It's now. not bad, but I just yeah. Parks of Recreation is my favorite one. Yeah, I definitely agree. It was the most consistent of the three. Yeah, it's consistently better. Like if I had to objectively say as a as a run, which of these is better up to where Brooklyn Nine Nine is now, I'd say Parks of Recreation because it's it's got a better story, it's more focused. It's not just one off. I love mockumentaries as well, and Brooklyn yeah. Nine Nine has the same camera style, but it's not. They don't have the talking it's very, heads. Yeah, it's, very, it's also very episodic. Brooklyn Nine Nine, like it's there's not many. There are arcs to it, but it's more casual. I mean, P- Parks and Rec is episodic, but the stuff does carry over. Yeah, it feels like it's more of an interconnected 
universe. You feel more attached to this place and, and this uh, character. Nick Offerman is brilliant. So I had the uh, uh, the 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 the, uh, f- the fortunate what would I call it? The fortune of being able to see him play live. live. Oh my god, he was brilliant. He sung. He did his little comedy routine, which was great. But the the pinnacle of it was when he sung. Uh, little Sebastian at the end, and he got everyone oh. to join in. It was brilliant. So, first Parks Rec, definitely check it out. It's yeah. on Amazon Prime. If you're in the UK, I don't know where it is in the US. Sorry, I think it. They can get it in the US. Hey, US, you can get it. You can get it on one of your billion different streaming yeah, services. Good God, I'm glad I don't live over there. What if you get you got CBS All Access, Hulu, HBO, Max. HBO Go and HBO Max. There's two. <laughs> what? I don't. I think. I think they're getting one like rid the of Go. Version? No, I think they're right getting rid of Go because they used to have Go, but yeah. now they're replacing it with Max. You've got anyway. They've got DC Universe as well. Next, next show is Community, which yes is another fantastic. Brilliant. Program. If you're a, if you want to be a writer or just want to, if you just love genre, Community mm. is definitely. Mm. It's definitely the anti-sitcom sitcom because it's nothing like a sitcom, but and it has some of the best actors and writers like in comedy ever in it. Donald Glover, I mean, yeah, Danny Pudi, is it Pudi? Pudi, I don't know. He's good. It's kind of upsetting because like only Donald Glover's the one that really ascended to superstardom. I mean, they're all. He's still- in um, solo. He's written his own music. He's he's an actor, a writer, a musician. Like, and there's some other stuff. thing he did where I was like, Jesus, he's doing that as well. Like, he's 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 going to be very rich and famous, more so than he is now in the future. Like, he's I can see him going even further. Yeah, definitely. So, community, it's just like they love playing with genre. They love making fun of genre. They love. Do it like they'll even copy styles, like the, yeah, like they do action, they do a paintball. There's a paintball episode, aren't there? Like two, there's three paintball episodes. Wow. So there's one in the first season, and then there's a two parter in the second season. Yeah, they do a Dungeon Dragons episode, they do a multiple timeline episode, which oh is my god, just fant- a fantastic use of TV budget constraints. It's and like stuff. the world's biggest. Nerd like us got to write his own sitcom for the mainstream. Well, Dan Harmon, who Rick and Morty, yeah, isn't on the list. But if you want to check out awesome animation, Rick and Morty, definitely. But you have to have an IQ of over three hundred to watch Rick and Morty. Just, just yeah, disclaimer. Oh, you have to have an IQ of three billion, please. Yeah, you can't enjoy it unless you're like Einstein level intellect. (laughs) (laughs) Next show. um, This is a British show, but if you love. Black Mirror, which I'm a bit iffy on, but if you love I've Black Mirror, I've never seen it. Love. It's not my kind of thing. If you're a fan of anthology, self-contained episodes, Inside Number Nine, it's on BBC. Yeah, it's a BBC show. It's um by two guys who did the League of Gentlemen. If you know oh that, my God. if you've not seen the League of Gentlemen, watch it now. Turn this off. Leave, <laughs> turn this off and go watch it. Find a but way. Inside, Inside Number Nine is basically like dark comedy. Um, or just comedy, or just dark. I don't know. It's just dark. There are, <laughs> there, yeah, just dark, dark anthology. <laughs> so, like, it'll be a story. Like, it's so dark. And if you're a, if you want to be a director, it's a great 
thing to if you want to learn about single camera shows, like because that's what most people start out also, on. Wedge Antilles is in it for an episode from Star Wars, but it's just fantastic. Yeah. So each ep- it's only like it's only four seasons with six episodes. They're all half an hour and they're all self-contained, and they're all absolutely fantastically written. So just check. That I will out. say I prefer the League of Gentlemen, but I'm biased because yeah, you are biased. I am biased because I just love it. It's, oh, it's so. It's sick. a local sh- show. Local show for local people. A local show for local people. Is this Swansea? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't um, burn them. It's just, oh my god! It's so sick. And then next, I think final show, um, documentary now, which is on Amazon Prime if you're in the UK. Oh, and I should say, Inside Number Nine is on um, BBC iPlayer. It's on Netflix. And Netflix in the UK, and Community is also on Netflix in the UK. Is it? And Documentary Now. Yeah. They've moved it back. And uh, all four. All from the UK, you know what that is. If if you're in America, then I I don't know. And final show, Documentary Now, which is uh, something I've just discovered, but it's already fantastic. I've not even heard of it. It's a mockumentary series starring Bill Hader and um, Fred Armistice, I think. And so they, so each episode is like a half an hour documentary parody. And they all, they all take different styles. So like one will be a seventies documentary. One's going to be, I think in the first season, I've not watched these two episodes, but there's a mockumentary of a rock and roll band, huh. you know, like those like rock and roll. Tap. Well, not not as outlandish as Spinal Tap, but it's like uh, Commode says: if it's not as good as Spinal Tap, then it's not good at all, or something. <laughs> I don't know what well, he yeah. said. He had some weird quote about Spinal Tap and mockumentaries. Yeah, but he doesn't like. He for like ten years, Mark Commode ragged on 3D, and then and then had to back backpedal when he was like, "You have to see that. You have to see this thing in 3D." <laughs> he's, yeah, he's. Uh... So I'm calling you out, Mark Commode. Mark Commode, bring it on. Uh, we're taking on the Mark Commode. <laughs> taking on, that's our spin-off <laughs> podcast. We're taking on Mark Commode. Just, just kidding, Mark. You're probably a really great guy. And, you know, if you're hearing this, then hi. I'm a big, big fan of um, Secrets of Cinema. Anyway, <laughs> and that's my... So Documentary Now is a fantastic, um, another anthology series. It's only seven episodes and three seasons. It's still going. All the... All on Amazon Prime if you're in the UK. I don't know where it is in the US. Probably on television. Probably on one of your 700 streaming services that you unfortunately yeah. have to pay for. Like, um, I don't know, Food Network Takeaway. It's great over here. We've got Picard on Amazon. We don't talk about Picard, please. We've got Picard on Amazon. We've got like everything that would be on HBO or CBS. They just filter to either Amazon Netflix, Netflix or Channel Four over or here, or Sky. If you're, if it's HBO, it's on Sky. Like that new Harley Quinn series I talked about last week that I really yeah. want to watch. That's on E4 now from the seventh of May. Seventh of May, which is Michael Rosen's birthday, by the way. Wait, what the noise guy? Noise, that guy. He wrote oh. the song "We're Going on a Bear Hunt." He wrote that. Anyway. Off save topic. it for the save it for the Michael <laughs> Rosen for, podcast. The Michael Rosen taking on Michael Rosen. Okay, that's my segment done. Well, I'm going to get up on my soapbox now. If 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 you uh, yeah, if okay. you don't mind. Hi, 
Har ye, har ye. I declare myself pickled tank. Shut your fucking mouth! Shut the fucking cunt! Boy, that escalated quickly. I'm going to talk about merchandising. Merchandising, merchandising. Let the real money for the movies made. That was, was, that, a, was that a Spaceballs reference? <laughs> yes. How, did you, how could you tell? Um, yeah. Spaceballs to lunchbox. Spaceballs to flamethrower. The kids love it. Anyway, <laughs> I love that movie. We have to do a whole episode about Spaceballs and Mel Brooks and how brilliant he is. Anyway. Yes, we definitely That did. was basically parodying. Parody? Parody? I can't talk. Parodying. That, that was parodying George Lucas. And the reason he did that is because George Lucas is a genius when it comes to merchandising. I mean, if you looked at the Kenner in the 80s with their action figures and... Dude, it was on its it arse. Was, and it, then, it was crazy. It was like the, wasn't it like the cheapest option when he merchandised? Yeah. So, I don't know. I think he basically was like... He, he, he had enough foresight to be like, this is the future. Okay. Spielberg, for example. The 1% of the profits of Star Wars that Spielberg. Is that 1% of the whole everything? Like Spielberg, yeah. Film George and Lucas and Spielberg agreed something like George Lucas gets 1% of Jaws or ET, and Spielberg gets 1% of all the profits of Star Wars. They made an yes. agreement. Needless to say, George Lucas got the bad end of the whatever stick on that one because Spielberg. I, well, I, I mean, think ET and Jaws are still they're still brilliant. going, but that one percent of Star Wars he could have kept would have made him quite a bit more. I imagine that's gonna that's gonna keep him alive. Well, they said that Spielberg made more from that one percent of Star Wars than he did on any other movie. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Like, I don't know how much of Star Wars Lucas got the rights, like the percent of, but. I think he got a good, good big percent of it. Probably, I imagine. But I should, yeah, I should know this. I've the, just watched a documentary on George Lucas. I've just watched. Have you ever seen Rancho Obi Wan? What that guy? That that guy. He looks a bit like George has. Lucas, and he. Oh my god! Well, have you seen Skywalker Ranch? It's massive. It's massive, but Rancho Obi Wan is full of this merchandising, and it just shows the the extent that George Lucas did it. He said he never wanted to put a Star Wars logo on, you know, anything that was bad, but. Good lord, there were Mel Brooks wasn't joking. There were lunch boxes, action figures. I mean you could get like Pez dispensers. Carrie Fisher made fun of this. She was like she had to sign away her likeness. Yeah, she, made, she has that joke. Well she had that joke where it's like yeah. every time I look in the mirror I have to give George <laughs> a couple books. <laughs> it's great. Is, but that's true. She has a point, like this man, not only is George Lucas a film like directing, producing, writing genius. He's a he's controversial. Who he's a well, he is. He is a genius. That's we can agree. The we're pro George Lucas on this podcast. I think that he's also a brilliant businessman. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you go out to the stores, everything has Star Wars on. Star Wars is on cereal. Disney are doing it now. They have it on apples. I know it's crazy. Well, in the in America, at least we don't have. Star Wars apples. Here's a fun little fact. You know the little Jawa action figure? Kenner had that line of action figures. Yeah. The little Jawa with the vinyl cape is worth something like $14,000. A tiny little Jawa. Because, and this is like how specific George Lucas was, they sent Lucasfilm the prototypes of the Jawa, and they started producing the Jawa, the tiny Jawa, the vinyl cape, and Lucasfilm said, no, this isn't right. He needs to have a cloth cape. So they 
basically stopped producing the vinyl Cape Jowers and recalled them all. So, and they never sold well in the first place because they were same price as full size action figures. And in parents' heads, they were like, okay, you know, value for I'm, money. I'm going to buy more plastic to I'm fill buy, the landfill. Exactly. I'm going to buy the bigger plastic. So these Jowers didn't sell well with the vinyl capes, and now they're worth 14,000. But good Lord, it was a wave of merchandising. And that's why there's no Spaceballs action figures. Because George Lucas said to Mel Brooks, I'll let you. <laughs> he said, yeah, he said, I'll, I'll let you make a parody of my movie, but you don't get to m- merchandise. Anyway, that's my, that's my little soapbox thing and my admiration for how good George Lucas is at merchandising and kind of the precedent. But, um, it is becoming a bit of a problem because we see all these, all this shit. From On Etsy, they're selling Star Wars themed COVID masks. I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. And on that bombshell, it's time to move on to Hollywood Headlines. Hollywood Headlines. This just in. I'm on f*** off. I'm on live telly. F*** off out of it. I'm on f***ing hell. F*** off, you little twat. Sorry. Geordie LaForge, a.k.a. LeVar Burton. Well, I think you mean, don't you mean... LeVar Burton, LeVar AKA, Burton, AKA, AKA George LaForge. LaForge. <laughs> it's the first name I saw on the article, so I just... <laughs> okay. Um, Entertainment Tonight interviewed him. I don't know how. Maybe over Skype or maybe it was... You don't know how. Ago. It's quite easy. You could, te- you could even text him. Well, I know that, but I don't know if this was recent. I think it was. He said... Oh, yeah. Full, dis- full disclaimer, our news is never up to date. It's never up to date because we record these in advance. It's and just also, headlines we we're, 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 like. We're, we're stupid and we're not good at like keeping up to date with things. Anyway. They're semi up to date. Yeah. Uh, they basically said to him, Picard season two, what, what's, go, what's going on? You in? You in? And he said, <laughs> this is the quote, how do I say this without getting in trouble? I think it's reasonable to assume that those people are still a part of a part of Picard's life and sure what the hell yeah absolutely <laughs> well I mean that's like, it yes. ladies and gentlemen we've confirmed it's a breaking news breaking news now f- I'm looking forward to season two of Picard. I'm not because the bar was set I, so low with the first season it was that's the I thing with the was, new characters they didn't always hit the mark for me but they didn't the, always they, they, were, they, the didn't way, hit, they, they, they hit a different <laughs> mark some of them did it for me some of them didn't None but the way they wrote the old characters, especially Data and Riker, was perfect. Data's spoiler, big spoilers. Mm. So turn down the volume now. Data gets a proper death in this, and while it's not necessarily Data, it's the essence of Data. It's you get, ugh, it's perfect. It's almost as if they got a different writer in just to do that because who who just got it? Because Picard's taking out the Data cards or whatever they are, and he's he's reciting Shakespeare and. And Data, you can see it in his eyes, he finally understands what it's like to be mortal and to be human. It's, oh, I cried. I cried. I didn't. During that I, scene. I rolled my eyes, if I'm perfectly Only honest. three things have ever made me cry. Four. In your life? In my life. No, in movies and TV. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not, that, I'm not that cold. Toy Story 3. Toy Story 4. The last episode of Third Rock from the Sun. Oh, Jesus Christ. Not, and I realized in hindsight, not because it was a good ending. It was such an abrupt and s- sad ending. I was like, wait, that's how it ends? <laughs> it was such an abrupt ending. You were, you were crying yeah. for the possibility. I was crying. I was crying because I was like, what? 
this is what happens. This is no, horrible. Scratch that. I was crying at the end of Picard because, um, oh no, here we go. <laughs> they'd but they'd massacred they'd massacred Star Trek in front of. <laughs> look how they massacred my friendship in front of my eyes. Yeah, different different strokes for different folks. I say, yeah. But- can we stop talking about Picard I, I loved now? it. Next Anyways, news. Next well, news. <laughs> the one thing I was going to say was, I'm looking forward to season two, especially if they bring back these new characters, because they've proven they can write them so well. And Mark Bernardin, writer, friend of Kevin Smith and fellow podcaster, is going to be a writer on Picard, and I know that his stuff's great. And he's a, he's very... No-nonsense. Yeah, he's no-nonsense. His opinions, are, I agree with a lot of the time. But yeah, I'm looking forward to him writing on season two. Next news. Next piece of news. Uh, have you got that for us? Well, I've got one piece of news here. It's Warner Brothers higher-ups are committing to theatrical release movies, even in the midst of this pandemic. Is that after this? Well, it's because you can't it's, hear. It's not. Cause I don't we, don't know when the, we don't know when the lockdown's going to happen. Oh, yeah. uh, we don't know it's, when it's going to end, but they're saying... By in July, when Christopher Nolan's new film comes out and Wonder Woman comes out, they're gonna put them in theaters. But it's like, well, we don't know if the what if the lockdown's still happening. Yeah, we don't know. That's it. Like, we don't even know if the the, the comic book industry is suffering so badly. I know Diamond Distributors, who are like the distributor, yeah, for comic books have have just stopped. So the the publishing houses have just had to stop. They've had, they stopped digital. Well, yeah, they, they, they even stopped the digital, exactly, because they don't want the people who collect physical to miss out. So they're stopping digital comics to help um, print print like shops. Oh. So they so people have to, but then they can't go. DC aren't. <laughs> oh, my God. Or Marvel are, I can <laughs> tell you now. They're doing, the, they're doing their own um, ex- DC digital exclusive series now on Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Well, I imagine um, the physical collectors don't want the series they're collecting to continue because they'll never be able to get certain issues. Yeah. And we don't know about um, people like Dark Horse and Image. They're, well, they're screwed. Oh my God. It's, it's depressing. Marvel are giving away, they gave away Civil War for free. Oh yeah. On uh, digital, didn't they? You can get the first volume of yeah, Hellboy on Comixology for free. Well, I've already got it volume of Hellboy. Yeah. So I downloaded those and I'm going to read Recommend those. Everyone, if you want to get into independent comics, read Hellboy. In fact, let me bring you up. I want to, because I, I like. Have we just gone into this. taking on comics now? <laughs> taking on comic books. Well, yeah, but the point is like, I think movies will survive, but comic books are struggling. Um, I think, yeah, because like they can just put them on like, what they've been doing with some like theater releases that got cut short, like um, Sonic Invisible Man. Um, and some other stuff, probably the Trolls film. They've um, they release them so you can rent them for twenty dollars. Um, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but you can rent them on for twenty dollars. And so it's like, and people, so that's like that could be your whole family. So instead of like paying for, you know, if you had like I don't know, if you had four kids, that's a four tickets, and plus you, and if you had a partner with you, yeah. That's that's and then you could, or you could just go or you could just I mean and you're at home it's twenty dollars for everyone yeah and I get you can rent stuff for like three quid normally but 
it's got to you got to help you got to help people make movies so we can make more movies to make better movies exactly people were talking about before like a disney just going to release movies on disney plus before this whole virus <laughs> they're not thing, taking a chance like, on that they're not going to release um anything on disney plus. yeah that's what i say like it's too profitable but during this quarantine maybe i think we might see some productions maybe slip over to disney plus as an incentive yeah like the cheap the cheaper ones not that they're definitely not going to yeah. do black widow which is a Put it to no, a billion. No. They're going like, to just or, save it. They're just going to save it. Yeah. Well, every every Marvel film has been pushed back. It'll be fascinating to see just the trends on technological development and entertainment and everything once I mean, this is all over. Netflix might not go, not be bankrupt anymore because their things have increased. I know, yeah. Netflix are basically... They run on... I, from what I've seen, they just run on a business model of we've put ourselves further into debt and hope that we don't bankrupt. Like it's like completely speaking bankrupt. of Parks and Rec. It's like um, for anyone who's watched it, it's like um, Entertainment Seven Twenty. Yeah, yeah, it is. They're just like, where's Tom, all this Tom money coming from? Chalra, Tom and John Ralphios. They're, they're spending more but, than they're making, but I trust them. I think I think they know what they're doing. But in the long run, they're hoping to make up their money. Well, they were they were thinking about buying the Bond franchise, which is uh, mental, and they've already they've already got the um, what is it the um. Is it the U- European Studio Ghibli-, Ghibli license? So you can watch all. Wow. We're going to definitely do some Studio Ghibli films. I've never seen any of them. Princess Actually, Monoke. I take that back. I've seen Howl's Moving Castle and it gave me horrible nightmares as a kid. Yes. Well, now we're older. Okay. Yes. Next now news. I won't cower behind the sofa. We don't agree with Warner Brothers' stance on releasing films, planning on releasing films. Especially considering here in the UK, all the cinemas are legally like not allowed to open. I yeah. don't know if it's the case in America, but so that's a massive like chunk of your income gone there. Anyway, let's move on to our last bit of news. Oh yes, 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 the big one, the big one. A new Disney Plus show. Yep. Surprise, surprise. It's Star Wars. I'm skeptical. I I I have no opinion oh, on we it. We should we should mention this is from, uh, it's from Leslie Headland, I think is how you pronounce it. She's the co-creator, showrunner, executive producer of the critically acclaimed Netflix series Russian Doll. I have no idea what that is, so I can't. I can't give an opinion. I, oh, Russian Doll! I'm, I'm not skeptical. I'm not. I'm not particularly looking forward to it because we have no idea what it's going to be about. I'm just like, okay, well, we know it's female centric, which is going to get some uh, people very worked up. I don't mind that. There has been a male dominance in cinema, so it's nice that they can actually, you know, yeah, women should have greater roles in films or series or TV. Yeah, they should have more women protagonists. That was Star Wars was built on that with Princess Leia. She was one of the first strong female characters, so actually strong, not just like kung fu expert. Yeah, she was. She was. A, you know, she could handle herself. Same with Rey. Like they could do their own. They could. Yeah. They didn't need the heroes, the the quote unquote men heroes stereotype to save them. They were they were the hero. But and my, that was good. what what more worries me is Disney with Star yeah. Wars are very. So what they did with the movies was they initial success with Force Awakens, and they were like announcing announcing countless films like the Game of Thrones guys were going to do one. What they, um, Ryan Johnson's got a trilogy. Yeah, and where did they all end up? the Game of Thrones ones got cancelled and now Taika Waititi has a Star Wars project uh, Kevin Feige has a Star Wars project um, they need to actually reveal more on other things before they keep announcing so stuff. they had all this announcing stuff and they were like Brr! like in Twitter and then they were like oh my god 
the last Jedi has completely screwed us over. Um, well, yeah, in terms people of decided to hate it. Yeah, for whatever reason, we like it. Um, yeah, I like all the Star Wars films. I careful, love them all. Careful. I love them all. You're going to start a rumble here. I'm not going to apologize. So, and then they now now they're going to take a what is it, a five year break after this year or whatever, or is it a two year break? They should. And I'm worried that they're they're just going to they're doing making the same mistake with their Disney Plus shows. They're going to go. Well, the Mandalorian is a huge set. We can just keep doing these, and they're going to go. Mm. We've got a Cassian Andor show, which we don't know anything about. We've got a Obi Wan show, which has been the Obi Wan show has been pushed back and it's being rewritten or something. Which is, yeah. I don't know. I don't like judging them before I know anything about them. It's like when one trailer comes out, people start forming entire opinions, and I'm like, yeah, I'm willing to give these things a chance. But it's Star Wars fatigue that I don't like. Anyway. Uh, back to this Star Wars series that's coming out. I'm not willing to judge it yet. Female centric could be could be awesome. It could be. It could be awesome. I mean, look at Ahsoka. Look at Rey. These are really cool, strong characters, and the and the people who play them are massive, especially with Ahsoka, massive Star Wars fans, and they bring so much positivity to the fan base. The only thing I don't want is it to be like a group of ragtag female rebels. I don't want it to be Rogue Two. Don't please don't do it in between three and four. Oh, by the way, did you guys hear George Lucas is making the Rogue One sequel? Let's just let that sit for a minute, see if anyone gets it. Yeah. Anyway. I didn't get it. <laughs> is that I've seen episode? it already, but I think George Lucas is onto something. He's onto something. They've brought him back. He might be onto something. Um, just, I want Star Wars to be do unique things, because that's what it's built on. It was doing, it's in, innovation. Exactly. Don't just go. George Lucas, the most positive response he had out of the sequels was episode eight. Yeah. From what little they could squeeze out of this man. I mean, to be honest, he doesn't care, does he? Yeah, and I don't blame him, to be honest. He is. I've, I read so the, the Clone Wars is concluding, which is my my Saturday morning cartoon. Yes, welcome to Star Wars cast, everyone. <laughs> Star Wars, taking on Star Wars. Starcast, taking on Star Wars. That's, that's innovative. That was innovative, and it still is, because, I mean, if you look at the animation on that, it is insane. Yeah. And the Mandalorian is just great. And the Mandalorian, yeah. that's, that's innovative. We, we talked about that last week with the VFX, didn't we? What I'll say about this f- female-centric series is it's going to be really nice for for kind of young girls growing up around Star Wars to have yeah. a team of girls as a role model. Not that it has to be girls for them, but you know, you tend to gravitate towards your gender when you create heroes. I mean, I was always a big fan of Luke and Han and Leia. In fact, I was more of a fan of Leia, but... Whoa. I was more of a fan of Leia than him. Is this your big reveal? <laughs> yeah. I, my favorite Star Wars characters from the originals are Luke, Leia, and then um, Han. So, Yeah, like, like I, I don't personally like, I just go, that's a cool character. And even when I was, exactly. young, when I was, yeah. young, when I was younger, I didn't, I was like, I don't care if they're a but girl. But at the same time, it's nice to have, for girls to have role models. Yeah, of course. To look like, up to. You do gravitate well. towards yeah. your stuff, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it'll be, just, it's if it makes, if it makes, you be know, be unique, unique. If it makes you happy, then if it makes someone out there happy, if someone can watch something and say, "I enjoyed that," then I can't criticize it. Well, that's lovely. I think that's a great note to end on. And that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget that episodes are available pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts: Anchor, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud—you name it. Be sure to share this episode, tell your friends, and maybe even leave us a review. 
Follow the podcast on Twitter at Hollywood Pod, as well as on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Taking on Hollywood and you'll find us. You can also follow me at Real Name Fake on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Flavor Day Film Club, if you want to check out my short films. Really appreciate it if you check it out. Thanks for listening and we hope you guys will join us next Friday for another edition of Taking on Hollywood. Please, we need the money. We need the money. Please, send money. Anyway, bye. See you.